What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Love That For You podcast. I'm not sure if you guys listened to last week's episode, but I was not part of it. Julia decided she wanted to do an episode by herself. I actually decided But I'm that. back. Yeah. He's back, and today we, we're going to jump into it quickly because it's a pretty long episode, and we're excited about it. It is actually, we haven't had a guest on in a long time, but today we have a guest. Um, her name is Sabina, and she is the founder of Doe, D-E-U-X. And if you guys haven't tried it, you have to. It's absolutely delicious. We love it. My favorite flavor is the pumpkin. It's basically like healthy cookie dough. Like that's just like the easy way to describe it. Um, but also, Sabina is just like an insane entrepreneur and she's such a cool – she's a businesswoman. She just has like a really cool background as well and she's super smart and I just think she has a lot that you could learn from um, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. So she talks about her story and all that stuff and – it's it's a it's a good episode, so I'm excited for you guys to hear. Yeah, I think her episode we literally just finished recording with her. <laughs> um, I'm feeling motivated. I think if you guys listen to this entire episode, you're gonna feel motivated, whether that's you're an entrepreneur or just you know in your day to day job, day to day life. Like she brings the energy, she brings the punch. Um, we hope you guys enjoy. I think probably dating back a couple months now, when you guys did a little bit of product sharing with Julia and obviously we fell in love with that and um but it's really nice to get you on the on the phone now be able to chat with you I think um we've got a pretty cool um episode here planned out obviously you've seen it um but can you just start with like a little bit of an introduction to yourself and can you do it without introducing dough <laughs> oh that's He's giving hard. you a real task this is like I a know. first challenge where I feel like you know, I want to hear who you are outside Just like before of... Just like yeah. yeah. before Doe. It's funny because I, I was introduced on Sunday. I went to go watch football at a friend's place, and I was introduced as Sabina, the founder of Doe. And I was like, yeah. oh, is that, is that my identity now? <laughs> like, I guess That's so. That's so funny. Um, yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so, I mean, yeah, prior to Doe, I've only been associated with Doe for the last, call it like, year and a couple months. Um, but... You know, my name is Sabina. I grew up in Texas. Um, I'm from an immigrant family. So my parents moved here in the 70s. And my sisters and I were born in Chicago. I'm the youngest of three. Usually people can tell that when they've met me. They're like, you, do you have siblings? Are you the youngest? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Um, I'm the youngest of three, and we moved to Texas pretty early on. So I grew up in kind of like a, a really small um, I joke like kind of crappy town in Texas, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily crappy. It just <laughs> didn't have much. It, um, yeah. I mean, we had like a football team and, and that, that was life and that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, a town called Ulysses in Texas, right outside of Fort Worth. And, um, so pretty, I would say like pretty, you know, middle of the country beginnings. And, um, you know, my parents worked all the time and, and, um, my mom was a nurse and my dad kind of worked odd jobs. And so he, you know, worked in a deli and then he was a taxi driver. And then he kind of saved up, um, didn't have much of an education. So kind of saved up to um, own his own gas station in Texas. So he, that was like his version of his American dream. So honestly, like spent my younger years just like hanging out there. And um, that's kind of where my obsession with junk food began. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I played sports, had like a pretty, I would say, like normal but humble childhood. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to college, everybody in the state of Texas, you know, dies to go to the University of Texas, because that's like the only place you should go. <laughs> um, so, you know, I did the same. Um and kind of felt a little pigeonholed in Texas. I felt like, you know, and there are a lot of people who say it's hard to leave. And then when you do leave, you eventually end up coming back. So um, that's just kind of kind of the culture there. And so I was kind of itching to get out out of Texas um, and made my way to California for for a job offer and kind of never left. So lived in San Francisco for a few years, got very into wine and health foods and Pilates and just all sort of kind of um, active and, and health and wellness things. And then, you know, moved to LA and that, you know, doesn't go away. I think it probably becomes more extreme here. Um, so I've been in LA for the last couple of years and I'd say like in my free time, you know, 
still still love like the wine and the food, but um, I'm also kind of really into health and wellness. Do you think that you'll stay out there? I feel like, um, I mean, I know you say you're from like a small town in Texas, but I feel like Texas now is like where everyone's going. I don't know why. I feel like just so many people are like funny? going fr- from everyone's LA too, especially. Yeah, yeah, everyone. I mean, Austin, it's wild. So my husband's family lives in Austin and my sister lives in Austin. Mm-hmm. And it's wild to go back there and see how different life is because there's like, for example, and I don't know if people are familiar with this, but like there's a Soho house in Austin now and there's an Equinox yeah. and like that kind of stuff is wild. Like that would have never been Austin is like a hippie, like hippie dippy, like small, you know, town and like very crunchy and very kind of like support <laughs> local local businesses, which I love. But um, yeah, but yeah, it's kind of wild when you go to South Congress, you'll see you'll see Equinox, you'll see Soho House and then you'll also see all of these like direct to consumer brands that are there now. So you'll see like a Casper store and a Lululemon and in a way, and like all of these brands that are, it's just funny that are like these coastal brands. And so Austin has kind of, yeah, flipped since everyone has moved there. Yeah. And you do, and you see a lot of uh, new money there too. Like there's a lot of, there was never any like Range Rovers or anything like that. And now that is like <laughs> the only car you see in Austin. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's like the place to be. You mean yeah. your small town didn't have an Equinox or a Soho house? <laughs> I know. I had like a, a, a beat up like 24 hour fitness that I used to work out at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Which funny. probably owes a lot of credit to that, to what you're doing now, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, it's like it when I was making kind of the moves that I was making in in my life, like whether it was career, which obviously like I'm like very career oriented, whether it's career or whether it was like personal, you kind mm. of see eventually, especially when you hit 30, how it all laddered up to what you're doing now and at the time Mm -hmm. it might have felt like off or strange or that like you know I was often like a misfit in Texas because I did you know I wanted to do things like cryotherapy when that was like so weird to do um and there there was probably like one place in in all of Dallas that had it um and so that you know at the time it was like it was was odd but now I look back on it I'm like oh yeah that kind of makes sense that it related to you know how I grew up yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, it's fu- not funny, but I love hearing you say, like, once you hit 30, and I don't know how old you are, I'm turning 34 in two weeks. And like, looking at and like being very introspective, looking back to like when I was a kid, and you said you're the youngest of three. I'm number six of seven kids in my family. Oh, my gosh. And just and it's so funny because that's always like a big talking point for me. <laughs> and I think about like how that like was part of the journey of like where I am today. And like, you know, so much like you said, like where you grow up, what your parents did, where you went to school. Did you move away? Did you stay home? Or like, you know, so many things that impact um, now that we're over 30. I guess we're allowed to say these things like yeah. we're old or something. We are uh-huh. old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, come on. We're not that old. Yeah. No, but that's perfect. Honestly, I I like hearing that stuff because just hearing about your background and kind of like the personal introduction, obviously, like you said, when you went to that um, party this last weekend, getting introduced as the founder of Doe, I'm sure that's a big part of your identity now. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I don't know, I like, I think of my identity, what it was 10 years ago or 12 years ago when like my whole life was playing and coaching football and like I, my introduction was I'm Pat I'm a football coach yeah and like and then going the trans transition of not saying that and now having to say what I say now whatever um so do you want to introduce a little bit about Doe now yeah I give us some to. give us some backstory you know yeah. the beginning um <clears throat> oh my gosh it's been it's been a wild year with Doe so um you know, I I initially concepted the idea when I was taking a ton of supplements um, during COVID. So I joke that we're a COVID baby. A lot of my friends had real babies and I instead <laughs> had a company. Um, so, um, you know, in June of COVID, when we were kind of at the peak and everyone was at home, we I, I was just taking a ton of, you know, elderberry and zinc and vitamin C and vitamin D and Honestly, like I thought of it as kind of insurance, right? I, I mean, I eat pretty healthy, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of still find yourself needing this or like wanting this insurance from supplements of like, okay, well, if I don't get, you know, enough 
vitamin C or zinc in my food, this, this will help me kind of combat something. So I was taking a ton of supplements in addition to kind of my daily like probiotic and, you know, things I take for inflammation. Um, and that was the trend. I mean, I think everyone was doing that. My husband who works for Air mm-hmm. One here in LA, he would, he kind of gives me like updates on what, what people are buying or what the trends are in stores. And the one thing that was always sold out was this lithospheric vitamin C. It's like this like better absorbing vitamin C. So, um, you know, I think that was just a consumer habit that was happening. And it was interesting thinking about, okay, is this, is this kind of a trend or is this just a fad, right? Like we, COVID's happening. Mm-hmm. So people are going to, you know, start taking a ton of supplements, especially immunity vitamins. Um, but is this something that's going to continue to happen? So, um, I got, I got pill fatigue pretty early on. So what that means is essentially I was taking a ton of, I would take like 10 a day. I, you know, would get heartburn, my throat would hurt, you know, I would get nauseous because like I didn't eat at the right time or I should have eaten breakfast first or or whatever it is. And I was kind of done with them. I was like, I need real food ways to get these vitamins and supplements because I can't keep doing this every single morning. Um, And so I initially concepted dough as, um, and this is before the name, right? But um, as like a real food version of supplements. So if you think like a famous Amos cookie, um, but that has all of your vitamins in it, so you can kind of eat it as real food. Um, and, you know, did some research. And it's funny because like when you talk to any entrepreneur, you'll, you'll see that the initial idea and y'all, right? Like you, you've been through it too. The initial idea just morphs too as you go oh, on. Yeah, but, just um, constantly changing. Yeah, yeah, constantly. <laughs> and you have to kind of be like open to that change, I think, which a lot of people struggle with um, if you you know, if you're getting feedback or, you know, if there, if your gut is saying like there's a different direction you should go. So I actually had a couple of my friends who are in venture capital and private equity because I came from that world, um, pull a bunch of data for me on, on the supplement category and the cookie category. And I quickly figured out that I did not want to be in that category. I mean, it was super saturated. There were a ton of new entrants. There were already really good options, right? Like grain free, gluten free, vegan, um, and so I was like, okay, is there kind of like a right to win here? Um, so quickly kind of explored adjacent categories. And cookie dough was an interesting one because it's been virtually undisrupted for, you know, tens and tens of years. You've got Pillsbury and Nestle Tollhouse as the two big players who own kind of 90% of this category. And there has been, there are a couple of new brands that have popped up over the last few years. Um, a couple of them even on, on Shark Tank, um, that aired before I aired. And they didn't necessarily kind of change any of the ingredient profile or the nutrition of the product. Like it was like they might have cleaned it up a little bit or they've made it like, you know, you can eat it raw because it has no eggs, but there wasn't any overhaul or kind of disruption that happened to the category. And, there, there honestly wasn't like this brand disruption that, that we've done with dough. And so, um, you know, I was like, okay, there's kind of an opportunity here. Let me test if, if this will work. So before I put any money into it and before, um, I raised any money for it, I launched an Instagram account and essentially we were selling cookie dough. It's like a drug deal. We we're like selling cookie dough <laughs> via direct message on Instagram. And then we were getting Venmo payments to pay for the product. So it's, oh, so it's funny. like, I know it's so, it's such like almost what I feel like a janky way of doing it, but it's a way to, a lot of people get caught up on like, Oh, I need funding to start, or I need, you know, I need this like beautiful website and this beautiful brand to start. And I was kind of like, let me see if I can do it in a scrappy way to see if people actually want this product um, in a way that won't waste a ton of money and, um, you know, and kind of a unique go to market. And so we honestly, like unintentionally started building all this hype um, with with our we would do these drops. And honestly, we were doing the drops not because. I, you know, was trying to make a cool Supreme or like sneaker brand. We were doing drops because we had limited quantities that we could produce Mm. in our commercial kitchen. And so we would drop a limited quantity on a Monday and it started selling out in like 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, there's something here. Yeah. There's like this organic virality, like influencers started reaching out to us. Um, celebrities started reaching out to us and we got some like retailer interest. So it's kind of crazy just from, from Instagram really is when, 
um, when we were like, okay, there's, there's kind of a there there. Um, and then that's when I invested, you know, 20 K of my own money and was like, let me, let me like do this thing for real and see, see how far I can take it. Um, and then, you know, again, like kind of had those proof points and then decided to fundraise a few months later. I feel like it's so cool that it started from a place where you were just like taking supplements because like, I mean, like you said, in COVID, like everybody was just kind of like, how can I be healthier? Like mm-hmm. what, you know, that was kind of the thing to do. And then you just kind of found this thing that was missing because like, of course, when you said like the Nestle Toll House and like there's all these like cookie doughs and it's cool because you can eat them raw because there's no egg, but there isn't something that includes like what we actually take on the daily to get like what we're needing for supplements. So I just think that like the idea is so cool that you kind of were just like, this is obviously a missing thing. Yeah. And then how you went about it was really cool. I feel like that's so different and yeah. people just, well, I don't know. It's kind of interesting too of like it started as a new way to take your supplements and what it's kind of transformed into because once you get like the initial product market fit, you're like, okay, there's something here. And then you have to think of kind of like the bigger vision behind it. And so it kind of has turned into and how I how I even like pitch it to investors and buyers is we're now, you know, a functional foods brand. Like we, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, started with cookie dough. We expanded into drip, which is our healthy Nutella. We have another kind of snack product that we're planning for this year, but we essentially are recreating nostalgic foods that everybody loves, taking out the bad stuff and then putting in good stuff. And it's like, it's as simple as that. There, there have been, I would say, beverage brands that have done it really nicely. And food is kind of a little bit behind versus beverage. There's just a lot of innovation in beverage. So I always use like Olipop and Poppy as great examples of it. Of They mm-hmm. took out yep. all the bad stuff of soda and then they added in good stuff that's gut healthy. Um, and, you know, it just makes everyone kind of make better decisions and then feel feel better about their choices too. Totally. Yeah. Well, I feel like not only... Like during COVID, there was such a uh, a shift to like want that, you know, that added supplement that we were all looking for. But I think even more broadly, like culturally, culturally, which I can't even say correctly, um, there's a bigger shift towards like healthier options in general. And wanting I mean, the same taste. You know? Yeah. E- expecting the taste, but wanting it to be a healthier option. And it sounds like 100% like you're you know, taking advantage and obviously have done the the research and, you know, collected the data to understand, like, that's a spot, that's a huge opportunity, obviously something you guys are leveraging. And I'm sure your, you know, your team, your investors, everybody is excited about, um, which is yeah, awesome. The taste, I- yeah, the taste piece is the most interesting to me because you have, I mean, you, you have a lot of it here in LA, right, of like a lot of these health foods that to, I mean, I grew up in, in Texas, right? Like in a small town in Texas, mm-hmm. we ate fast food and we ate Kraft mac and cheese and we ate Oreos. And like, that is, that's one element that I always find missing in a lot of these new health foods is they're, you know, they're made so incredibly well, but they taste like cardboard or they taste like mm-hmm. kale. And it's like, at the end of the day, if you're going to be a big brand that disrupts big food, you have to make it taste good. I mean, that's like, I think Kind yeah. did a great job of that, right? Where like mm-hmm. Kind Bar, you know, clean up the ingredients that's made with nuts. They they provided you a better option, but you know, at the end of the day, they were placing like Snickers, right? And so they still yeah. they still put chocolate on it. They still put like a little yeah. bit of sea salt and caramel. Like you still have to make it almost like mass appealing, or you'll you'll kind of hit, I think, a ceiling of of the number of consumers that you can reach. Yeah, definitely, and I. You know, Julia and I are huge, uh, I don't know, fad, uh, like we're always kind of looking for that next, just like to like things job, we try. You know? Yeah. I mean, like when we yeah, yeah. get a ton of products sent and try and like, I don't know, we recently tried something that was sent to us and, you know, it was branded beautifully. It was the healthier option to, I forget what it was, like those little bars. Yeah. And we both like bit into it and we're we like, not like, this it. is terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there was one flavor was, we did like. Yeah. I don't, but whatever it's it, it's yeah, hard we don't need i'm to sure talk it's, about yeah, them but like really yeah hard. i mean it's the taste and it's funny the sabina around christmas when um when i gave the the bottle or the um container of dough to my eight-year-old nephew and then he did his christmas list and listed dough as like his number <laughs> four most wanted thing it was yeah. like <laughs> if you if it tastes good to an eight-year-old you're doing and something right has the health benefit and like everything added into it in a positive like 
you're absolutely killing it. Yeah. If you can get an eight-year-old's like he loved it to oh love it. Oh my god! Oh yeah. I know the that approval was... of children. <laughs> That's the best. And... Like when my sister told me it tasted good, I was like, okay, fine. But then when her niece or my niece, her daughter, told me it tasted good, I was like, okay, you're you're like a four-year-old, so you would tell me the truth. <laughs> exactly. Like a kid is not going to hold back. They're just going to be honest with you. Um, which you know is so genuine and like that's probably the most uh honest feedback you'll get everybody else is just yeah. going to be polite exactly so. i know i like i like to hear the hard feedback i know a lot of, I, some people kind of like shield themselves from it but i'm like tell me everything we need to improve yeah yeah it's that's uh that's, it's yeah julia and i talk about that a lot obviously with our business hopefully getting off the ground here soon mm-hmm. he's way um, better at taking feedback than me <laughs> i'm so like i i do get like really hurt about it yeah and i know it's good for you but like pat is just way better at we were very it. cautious with when we were like putting together the idea up front we were very cautious with who we were uh letting see like who we were letting on the inside because I think especially as early as we are, like we're, you know, pre-revenue, haven't even launched anything like everything, the highs and lows of like riding this entrepreneur boat, like some days we're as high as the sky and some days yeah. like we're six feet under. Yep. And if somebody says one thing and it like completely derails us and we're both people who like, you know, wear the emotion on our sleeve. So mm-hmm. it's like if we're working on something, moving good, feeling positive and somebody hits us with like. And, you know, I think there's like constructive feedback, which is really helpful. But yeah. if somebody just says like, that's dumb or that's stupid or <laughs> yeah. nobody's going to buy it, then you're like, You're the shit out of the like, comments. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, I know. Totally. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm like, is, I just truly, left my job for this. <laughs> like the highest highs and the lowest lows. I started reading this book called The da- Daily Stoic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's essentially just to teach me how to not not feel those highs and lows so immensely i'm a pisces so i kind of like write it off that that's why i'm so i'm so sensitive (laughs) (laughs) um and so i you know i feel like it's up and down and up and down and now it's gotten a little more like you know when something crazy happens it affects me a little less now but it's totally like a learned thing yeah the um the daily stoic is that by ryan holiday um i should look I think that's. I just started one of his other books, which yeah, is, I think it is. It's called "The Obstacle Is the Way." Oh which yeah, I think I'm. It. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little bit into it, and I. I'm already recommending it to people, but that's a complete sidetrack. Side note. So when you you said you went to UT, majored in supply chain management. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. The weirdest At major what, ever. I <laughs> not weirder than fast. I was a philosophy major, so <laughs> when you start talking like the daily stoic, like my ears perk up. Yeah. But supply supply chain management was that? Did you have something in mind when you went yeah. to school and something that took you down a different path? Yeah. So it's it's um it was my way to finagle. It was like my way to try to finagle my way to fashion. So I mm. obviously like I grew up with immigrant parents and my top two majors, you know, as a 17 year old young woman were one, I wanted to do social work. And then Mm -hmm. two, I wanted to be in fashion. And both of those two immigrant parents who have kind of busted their ass to like be in this country and um, make a better life for us is that was just not, I would say like, they they would never say no, but that wasn't their preference. It was kind of like, don't you want to like, you know, have a fulfilling career, but also like make a little bit of money, right? Like, so we don't have, to, you don't have to live, you know, as conservatively or as like kind of humbly as we grew up. And so it wasn't ever, they would never outright have said that, but I essentially was like, okay, maybe I consider things outside of these lower pay. Oh, and then teaching. I was like interested in teaching for a little bit, which again, mm. like, of course I pick like the three things that are like out of college. You make like, <laughs> you make like $25,000 yeah. a year. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. Um, so, you know, they were like, they would never steer me, but I was like, okay, maybe I consider things that are, that are not that. And so, um, you know, business is an interesting one because it's, a little bit of a catch-all of if you kind of don't know what to do, which who knows what they what they want to do at age 17. I don't understand how we're supposed to choose majors at that age, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it impacts like the rest of your life. And yeah, so totally. I am, um, you know, when I was choosing, I was like, okay, can I do something in business that at least gets me to the business side of fashion? 
Um, and so I did all this research and I found that there's this role called the buyer, which now, you know, is a little more mainstream and people are familiar with, but there are these, mm -hmm. these people called buyers who make all these major decisions at, you know, Bergdorf and Nordstrom and, you know, Barney's and like all these back when department stores were, were the cool thing. And now kind of nobody even shops at department stores, which is funny, but, um, you know, buyers made those calls and they were kind of the, the leaders in, in deciding, you know, what came in. And a lot of that is actually, you know, some people might know this, but like, yeah, it's a creative decision, but it's also a very analytical decision of like what sells. It's so funny. I, I was a, I was I majored in fashion and I wanted to be a buyer until I found out how much math was involved yeah. and I was like this is literally <laughs> is, not what I want right? to do <laughs> yeah so yeah math. I mean it's like it's like excel right like it's like documents yeah. and, and systems and totally and, not what um, you think it is no it's like it's a very small part of it is like a creative decision because at the end of the day you can bring in you know a cool new designer but if it doesn't sell then like that that's all that yeah. matters right it's like it's like the the revenue part of the business so anyways that supply chain management was my way to kind of finagle my way into fashion um and i did my first internship in not in fashion so it was it was in a supply chain trip just to see if i liked kind of like the subject um and it was at lockheed martin which um you know is a big missiles and and yeah. air air force i guess that's what you would call the industry but I worked there for a summer and I was, I was 20 years old and I, um, you know, was surrounded by, I'm obviously like a, a diverse young woman, right? Like a, a young woman of color and who would wear, by the way, like pencil skirts. Like I thought it was so cool to dress up for, <laughs> for business. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to wear like pencil skirts and heels to work, um, for my internship when I was 20. And, um, and I would put together these like cute outfits and I went to, went into work and it was, you know, a bunch of like, honestly, like 60 year old men <laughs> who mm -hmm. worked in uh, the department was missiles and fire control. So you can only imagine, right? Like very old yeah. school. <laughs> um, it was in Florida. We were working on the Apache helicopter. Like I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Like I, I stick out like a sore thumb. I could give two, you know, shits about this, this industry. Um, and I feel kind of like weird, honestly, working in that industry and I'm surrounded by, you know, people like, and like, there's honestly, I didn't know at the time that there were kind of these like microaggressions or, or things that people would say to me about like, you know, what I was wearing or like being mm -hmm. the only woman or like or that kind of thing. And so I was like surrounded by these like older men. And, and I was like, this is this is not for me. Like, I need to not do yeah. this. So that's when I was yeah. like, I don't know if all supply chain is like this, but this part of, you know, this industry, I don't know that I'm cut out for. <laughs> right. That's crazy. I mean, Sounds like it was probably super, uh, maybe for the right person, super interesting and important. I mean, there were probably some people. If you said, "Hey, I'm working on Apache helicopters," that they would pee their oh, pants with excitement. Would die for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. not not right. for me. I mean, no, my <laughs> yeah, not for us. Like my brother-in-law is a full-on. He is um, an engineer, and he, you know, he works for Apple now. But like, he worked on like cars, and like he, like he thought that it was it's the most interesting, interesting thing about me. And I'm like, I, like, he would die for that type of internship. And I was like, eh, no. So, okay. We'll go back a little bit to just like dough. And so for, for us, this question, I want to ask you how you come up with the name. When we, when we started thinking about names for our business and company, at first it was like really, really hard because we were like, does this make sense? Like it wanted, we want it to be something that's like cool, but also has to make sense and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then when we came up with our name, it was just kind of like, this just fits. And I didn't, and I almost didn't feel this, like I wanted to feel this like overwhelming, like, oh my God, this is perfect. And I really didn't feel that. But at the same time, then I was like, but it really just like makes sense. So I'm curious how you came up with the name. Cause like, obviously it's dough and obviously that is what the product is. So mm -hmm. was it like hard for you or was it kind of just like an easy choice? Yeah. Well, it's funny because after Shark Tank, we got a little bit of criticism on it because people were like, in French, it, like if you're using the proper French term, it's pronounced duh, which like, obviously I know that. I'm not an idiot. I know it's a French word. <laughs> like, um, yeah. it's kind of like a play on words, which I yeah. think some people had their panties in a bunch about, which I thought was really yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> so, you know, initially it was, my goal was to keep it short and pithy because, um, and I think that was, that's actually the trend. Uh, we tried to break a lot of the trends with, you know, typical D2C brands over the last, call it like five, 10 years of, 
you know, especially with like the branding that people call blanding, right? Like the super minimalist, like we tried to stay away from like millennial pink. Like we, mm-hmm. there was a couple of things intentionally where we were like, okay, let's not kind of succumb ourselves to, to that. But what I do love about some of those brands is, you know, they're one word, they're super pithy, they're, um, they're memorable. And then there was something about, there's, there are other ways you can obviously spell dough and there are a, a couple of other brands that have done it, but um, this spelling of it, you know, the French way comes off as, as almost like chic and like there's yeah. something mm-hmm. out, it felt like it could be not a cookie dough brand too, which is interesting in, in how we market and, and, you know, even the influencers and, and celebrities that we work with that perform the best for us are not food people. Like they are, you know, they're fashion mm-hmm. people or they're beauty people and they're, um, they're honestly people like in those categories. And so there's something like high fashion almost about it or like, like artistic about it that could be not cookie dough. And then the other thing I wanted to make sure is we weren't pigeonholed into just cookie dough because that is obviously that's our first line of products and it's done exceptionally well and we'll keep kind of pressing the gas there. But we, I, I knew after seeing a little bit of the, the success from, from our Instagram drops that I wanted this to be, bigger than just cookie dough. Um, and so being able to make sure that we can, we can extend it across a number of different categories was really important. Uh, and then I do like, I mean, it, it, so duh in French means two. And so there's our, each of our products has, um, kind of a double meaning. So the double entendre of, you know, you can, you can scoop it and eat it raw or you can bake it. So there's two ways to right. kind of consume it. For drip, you can drizzle it at room temperature, and then when you, you know, put it in the fridge, it actually becomes almost like a spread, like Nutella. And so there's, you, if you read our packaging, you can kind of see the, the play on words there, and we try to kind of put it in our marketing too. But everything has has kind of that two or duh around it as well. So funny. Um, we haven't tried baking it yet. But oh my god, <laughs> we our, eat it our raw. go-to is on the couch, uh, in sweatpants, yeah. bottle of wine, a, a spoon, and I the do want to try eating it, like cooking it. I feel like obviously, like we should try that. But you should. Um, try no, I love air that. Frying it, I've had yeah. consumers mm. sent us, um, and we had never done this, but like consumer sent us air frying it the pretty early on because in the pandemic, I think mm. everyone got an air fryer for whatever yeah. reason, and, that is and so it weird. is. So good. It's like crispy on the outside and then it's like gooey and soft oh and warm on the inside. So I highly yeah. recommend air fryer. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we, we'll, we have yeah. one. So we'll definitely <laughs> be trying it. Um, so I kind of want to just get into like, like your personal, like what was it like for you starting your own business on Instagram and just like on the internet? I feel like for me, like I've been on the internet for a few years, mm-hmm. um, but it obviously didn't start out as a business until it was a business. And, like, I think it's different now that we're starting a business and you, like, put yourself out there on the internet. And I just kind of – we want to know, like, what your experience has been mm-hmm. building a brand, like, on – like, solely on Instagram, I guess, because that's just, like, I feel like the biggest platform. Yeah. I mean, it's been kind of interesting because you have to make the decision early on of if you want to be public-facing or not. And I sh- I struggled with it quite a bit early on because generally I'm I'm a pretty private person and, like, my husband is a pretty private person. And so – um, I actually talked to Leandra Cohen from, from Man Repeller. Um, and you know, she, I talked through it with her early on because she was a, a fan of the brand and just was like really receptive to what we are doing. And she was like, you just have to kind of make that call. And part of it is gut. And part of it is like, do you think it will propel what you're, what you're doing? And yeah. so that, um, that decision I made early on and at the, at the same time, like when I was going through that, we, I was in talks with Shark Tank, um, and the producers there. And so there's kind of like, if, if that worked out, like I wanted it to work out, you're already putting yourself on a massive stage, right. And like mm-hmm. kind of opening yourself up to both the bad and the good. Um, and so that, um, you know, that aspect of it, of, of tying in the personal, I would say has been mostly positive. So there's obviously, you know, after after I aired on Shark Tank, they tell you not to read the comments and they say, don't, you know, go on Reddit and don't read Twitter. <laughs> but of course, any human being is going to go do all three of those things. Um, so, you know, you, you have to have thick skin. But I think being able to kind of put a face to it is something that 
brands, it's kind of like table stakes nowadays, right? Like people want to know, and not just me, like my whole team, you know, does, does TikToks. And like, we're almost like this reality show cast of people of, you know, putting ourselves out there and, you know, not being offended if a TikTok flops, Um, but showing kind of the background, it it kind of makes people fall in love with you more too, right? Because they know you and they know your backgrounds and they know, you know, why, why you launched something like this and why you're working on something like this. So um, we, you know, we decided pretty early on and Instagram, we show a little bit of it, but TikTok primarily, it's like, there's, and JT Barnett, who who says this kind of incredibly well, it's like every, his prediction, which I, I agree with is every brand in the future is going to have some sort of face whether that's the founder or not, it can be like someone that's hired. It can be a celebrity. It can be someone internally that they dub as like the face of the brand. But people want that personal connection, especially on TikTok. So we've started mm-hmm. kind of doubling down on doing that, um, especially on that platform. Instagram, we show a little bit of it. But on TikTok, it's it's um, a lot of our faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's I mean, it's honestly inspiring, um, like seeing you do it, seeing you kind of own like that position and i think you know as like uh, a consumer and somebody who follows and you know eats the product and everything it's like there comes a level of confidence when i see like you get behind it because then you're like owning it like so and it obviously helps humanize the brand to the point where it's funny julia and i before this episode we were talking and it's like why do i associate your personality with dough the brand that i see on social media it's like yeah how that happens or like what that exactly is like i can't put my finger on it but it's like unsurprising to hear that you know you are who you are and how you are when i see the dough brand particularly on instagram because that's where i see it the most people just want to know you personally like they want that so bad yeah yeah it's funny, and when you say like you know JT, I follow him, and his content is just awesome. And um, but talking about like the face, and I think of, I immediately think of like sports mascots, mm-hmm. where it like uh, you know, I don't know, like for us, like the Philadelphia Eagles, and I the uh, I think about like the stupid mascot just like running around, but it always was like, oh, I have a relationship with the Eagles through their mascot because it yeah. like gives it those human characters that, you know, like I can put myself in those shoes and like makes it relatable. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's such a good point and something I guess we need to do for our yeah. business now, Julia. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. It's like there's so much to do. Uh, speaking of, so we mentioned work-life balance and it's so funny because when you wrote like you love this topic, but um, but you don't do it and you can explain why. And I think it's so funny because that's me. I have no work-life balance, something I've been working on for a long time. And it's like, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's Mm -hmm. not. I don't know. Um, I want to hear your reasoning. I'm excited for you to talk about it because I think it might be really similar to me. Okay. So I think we grew up with this mindset. Well, first of all, we grew up in like this nine to five world, right? Which like when you're Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, everyone knows that that doesn't exist. Um, and, And honestly, like anything that's not corporate, like if you're an actor, if you're, you know, like in the arts or like, that's just not, um, that's not realistic. And so I, I found early on in my career that when I do my best work is not between nine and five. So like that is, and I think we are not trained or we were not trained. Now I think, I think Gen Z is actually really in touch with when they get their energy, but um, we were not trained to work when we have the most energy or we're the most creative um, or honestly like we're in a zone to, to get shit done. And so I actually found kind of early in my career that like my energy really slumps at call it like between like three and five. And then all of a sudden at like 7 PM, like right around dinner time, I will get this spike of energy and I'll need to work like into the night. And so that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're working a nine to five, isn't necessarily the most cohesive for, for a team. But that was kind of one thing early on that I, that I discovered was like, you know, work life balance in this, in the nine to five sense doesn't work for me because I don't work like a normal human being. The right. other, or not normal, uh, a, a corporate person, I guess. Um, and then the other thing is when I get super passionate and obsessed about something, it is 
it's exciting for me to keep working on it, right? Like I actually get energy and like, I love, you know, talking to people about it and problem solving with people about it. And like, you know, my husband and I will work on it together. And there's just this element of, you know, if if you're so kind of passionate and in love with what you do, and this is so cheesy, but like, it doesn't feel like it's work. It feels like it's your life. And it kind of like interweaves itself throughout your life. Um, And so that is, that's part of the reason where I don't necessarily, I I do practice, you know, mindfulness, I I set boundaries, Um, you know, I'm working on getting better about like, not being on my phone as soon as I get up in the morning and like doing a morning routine. Like I, I do try to do all of that stuff. But when it comes to the the balance, which is like the number of hours, if I truly enjoy working on something and if I'm, you know, getting energy from it and it's not bringing me, it's bringing me more joy than, than pain, then I'll keep going on it. And so that's where I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily practice it, but um, I, I do subscribe to kind of like, the taking care of your mental health and like setting those boundaries to make sure you are, you know, taking time off, but, but not necessarily of like, okay, I need to stop working at, at, you know, five or 6 PM and then life starts because life is so intertwined, especially at a startup when you're like, when you're friends with people that you work with and like they kind of interweave Mm -hmm. into your life. And so that's, it's just where work stops and life starts. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I really love the way you're thinking about it, and it makes me feel better about how I work, I feel like, because I think, honestly, now that you just said that, I'm like, is the work-life balance thing because of social norms? And it's like, is it because I think that I'm bad at it because people are telling me that I'm working too much and because, like, like, I love what I do. So, like, most of the time, it's like what you're saying is, like, I have this energy where I'm, like, really excited about something, so I'll just, like, sit down and I'll, you know, I won't take a lunch break like like you're supposed to or whatever. And it's just like, I just love it. And then other times, obviously, I'm like burnout and stuff. But I think it's more like is it's like the social norm that's telling us that it's like we we need more of this when it's like if you don't feel like you do, then you then you don't and you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, a good job. Yeah. Yeah. And I think work life balance, you know, I think I think if you talk to a lot of people, you get a lot of the same like comments back about it and what it means. But I think it does mean something unique and a little bit different to everybody. And I think what I mean by that is when I was at my last job and I was there for seven, six years, whatever, I loved it. And I, but down the end, uh, when I um, like kind of started thinking about going somewhere else or I was getting frustrated with things, I would say that my work life balance was terrible, but I was only working you know, 40 to 50 hours a week. And now I'm probably working 80 to 100 hours a week. And I say my work-life balance is better because I'm working, I'm working, I'm working on something that I love. I'm really passionate about and I'm doing it on my time. So it's like, I'm working more, but I guess somehow my work-life balance is better. And I don't, I don't know if that makes sense to you or anybody, but like, and it's obviously different as like an entrepreneur because you're working on something that is like your baby. It's you, yeah. like you're Sabina, the founder of Doe. Like, what are you just going to ignore that part of you? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. We want to know everything about Shark Tank. I feel like that's probably what you get asked all the time. Um, we watched the episode and it was so good. We like we were so excited to watch it. Um, and you did such a good job. Like, I felt like you were just so professional and it was, it was really great to watch. So whatever you can tell us, tell us. I mean, we want to like know what it was like for you. How nervous were you? And like, what, what's it really like actually being on? I've heard so many things like what it's like being on the show. So just. It's wild. It's like, um, well, it's funny because I have invested. So I'm, I'm wrapping up a, a fundraising round right now and people are like, Oh, do you get like nervous, you know, getting on investor calls? And I'm, and it is honestly a cakewalk after doing that. <laughs> like yeah. after having five people who have giant personalities, like yelling and barking questions at you <laughs> and trying to like manage a room for an hour. Um, I like, I think of everything else as a piece of cake um, or any yeah. of like presentation, like when I present to, you know, Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever, I'm like, this is fun, like compared to, to Shark Tank. So um, I mean, it's, it's, 
what people don't know is everything behind the scenes of it. So it's kind of interesting because people have a lot of opinions, right? Especially on, on a six minute pitch. Cause all you see is six minutes of it, but you don't actually know how much work goes into it. So I always tell people and and I've had entrepreneurs ask me too, like, would you recommend going on the show? And I always have kind of like a mixed, um, you know, mixed perception because I say like, it's a lot of work. It is, I mean, a hundred hours of work at least in, in prepping, you know, you have to prep obviously like the pitch, you have to prep all your, you know, financials. Um, you have to have like this business checklist that you go through. Like it is a lot, it is a grueling process. And that time in your business, especially how early we were, I didn't have any full-time employees. And so I was, you know, making time that, that hundred hours came from, things that I could have been doing on the business. So um, I will say very time consuming. And then both, I would say resources, both financial and time, but time being the one that like, it's very hard to get back. Um, and then the other thing is people don't know that if you film, you don't necessarily air. So like, right. that's another, like, almost like a little like, okay, you have to take, take a gamble of, are you, if you put in all this work and time into it and then you don't end up airing or, you know, you don't get moved forward in the process or whatever it is, it's a sunk cost. So it is risky going into it. Um, and then I would say, you know, prepping, I tried not to over prep because I get in my head of if I, if I over prepare for something, for whatever reason, I think I'm better off the cuff. And then Two, if I, if I over prepare for something, I'll try to go back and memorize, you know, what my response yeah. was or my answer to that question. And it will often, it will just come off wrong and it just will be incorrect. And then I'll, I'll, it won't be, you know, flowing conversation. So I tried not to prepare. Like I have friends who have done it, who have, you know, watched every single episode under the sun and they take, you know, very extensive notes and they have like, you know, 50 pages of notes on every single episode. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like I'm not. Um, and so I tried to be a little, a little looser with it, but I did practice, you know, with my husband and, um, and, you know, friends that, that were willing to. Um, so the yeah. actual experience itself. So I filmed in July and luckily it was here in LA. So I didn't have to travel anywhere, but, um, my, th- so that morning I was supposed to film in the afternoon. So that morning I was like on this bus to go film and I get a call from Whole Foods that said, you just got approved for Whole Foods. And I was like, oh my God. holy wow. so shit. Cool. So like talk about like the highs and lows of the business. So I'm on this like <laughs> high, I have like hyper energy because <laughs> I just, you know, we just got approved by Whole Foods. Um, and I'm like, the first thing I asked them is like, can I use this on the show? And they're like, yeah, sure, fine. Um, and so I was able to kind of like use that, use that in my Q and A. Um, and then, you know, I, I get to my, my little trailer and like time goes on, time goes on, like time goes on. And I didn't actually end up filming until very late in the evening. And so, you know, you have this, and I still had kind of like the upbeat energy, but like you have to kind of like play with your psyche of like, okay, you're good. Like, you know, and I didn't want to take, like have too much coffee because I didn't want to be like anxiety jitters with caffeine. And so there's like this balance of trying to keep your energy up. Um, and then you get out there. So, you know, you get to see the set, you get out there and you, you can't fuck up. Like you cannot fuck up your pitch or like you get you have one shot, like you have one shot. Yeah. They won't refilm it. You have to just like get it right on point. Um, and I wasn't terribly nervous about that. I think like when you've memorized it so many times, it kind of just like comes to you. So I wasn't terribly nervous about that. Um, the, the hard part is when you're in there, when you're in the tank and you have this kind of like, you know, this like giant room and these five people that like you've seen on television, you've read about, you've tried to learn about so you can kind of like answer their questions and they just start asking questions. Like no, everyone interrupts everyone. Nobody gives you time to Ugh. speak. Like they interrupt you. They interrupt each other. They have banter going on. You're like trying to just like process. Like, I mean, even watching it is I'm, I get nervous watching it because of that. <laughs> so I can't imagine being on it. It's chaos. It's like pure chaos. It's as if like there's like a room of and I don't want to be like condescending like and say like kindergartners, but it's truly like people that you can't control. Like think about like a room of people that you cannot control. Yeah. And so that was the biggest thing. But somebody had given me that tip beforehand. They were like, you need to just control the room. And so I almost, instead of trying to get like louder and speak over, I almost like pulled back 
And like that balance and like me going a little bit slower and more intentional, that actually I think helped manage the room. Um, and then it also helped that I had, you know, kind of like good answers. It, it was, so was, I filmed for probably an hour. You don't actually know how long you're in there, but you know, they show six minutes of it, but generally even outside of the six minutes that you guys saw, everything was really positive. So I had like a really good, I would say like, it's still an emotional experience and, and mm. like a, a mental experience. I would say, you know, you, you have to kind of like take care of your mental health after something like that. But generally like everything people were saying, like it was very positive and they kind of, they liked my answers and they, um, you know, like Robert said the nicest thing in the world of me being like one of the most impressive people he's seen on this yeah. stage in 13. That was like the nicest thing anyone has ever yeah, said to me. So nice. Yeah. Um, and so they were really complimentary. I think obviously when you get the first rejection, kind of like you have this almost like internal, what your brain is thinking and then external, what you want to portray. And so like you get this almost like pain the first time that you get the rejection of when someone says they're out and you're like, shit. And yeah. but you have to kind of keep your cool and keep it going because you have to keep selling the other people. Um, and so that part was the hardest I would say is like, when you get that, that rejection and then you're like, okay, but I need to like get over it very quickly and like manage my emotions so I can, I can keep moving with the others. Um, right. And then, you know, obviously like there's there, the way, you know, the show is cut at the end of the day, it's reality TV. So they'll cut what, what makes good TV. And so, um, you know, I think they cut the right things <laughs> to, to make for a really dramatic episode because my episode was, was, was so dramatic, but I truly, I mean, like, out of, you know, there's, there's feedback I received. I think there was kind of, um, what I wish they showed a little bit more of was, and I, I would say like I got a pretty good edit given everything, but the, what I wish they showed a little bit more of was almost like the, the talk about the consumer because, and, and there, we got, we got to a little bit of this when I kind of made the joke with, um, Mr. Wonderful that he did not really love when I said, you're not exactly the target consumer where I was like, you guys <laughs> aren't the consumer, but like Gen mm -hmm. Z and millennial women are the consumer and they think about food differently. And right. so it was hard to kind of explain that, you know, and, and I did, but they didn't kind of edit that in. And so one thing we tried to do afterwards, I was like, okay, whatever happens, happens, whatever they air, they air. But when, as soon as it airs, Patrick and Cameron were on our marketing team and, and I, we huddled and we were like, okay, here's what we can use. And here's what we need to do from here. Because there was, you know, there's a comment about something being too high calorie. And then there was, mm -hmm. you know, there's a couple of things like that where we can, we can like use our voice, you know, on Instagram and TikTok to, to essentially like combat kind of that kind of toxic narrative that you know, our, our age group, especially people who grew up in the 90s, grew up on diet culture. And we grew up on, you know, eating low calorie and low fat. And like, a lot of, you know, eating disorders came out of that. And like relationship with food is really messed up because of that. And so using things like that, where I was like, damn, I wish they showed that. It's like, wait, I have right. my own yeah. platform. Like we have Instagram, we have TikTok, and we have a ton of followers. And honestly, like that, something like that will get picked up and probably shared really often. And so we were able to use, even though there were, I would say, like some negative parts of the episode, we were kind of able to use that and, and have a conversation about it versus just kind of being like, oh, shit, like I wish they showed this instead. But generally, I thought like they yeah. showed, I, I thought a pretty positive edit of, um, you know, they, they you know, showed like a, a strong, powerful, like female entrepreneur, if you will. Yeah, it's interesting how um, like what gets aired on TV obviously has to be like edited to captivate a different audience when it's not the full pitch and obviously you know they get to the producers kind of have the the creative pen to be able to change it not change but how they cut and edit yeah you know plays plays with the pitch and the story a little bit it's i mean just like you don't even know what they're like you don't know what they're looking for that day and it's oh, kind of yeah. like they probably have their mm -hmm. they're like oh uh, i i just invested in this yesterday so you know like they just do it all the time that you don't mm -hmm. really know like what they're looking for so it's like you just have no idea what it's going to be like yeah. You have no idea. Yeah, it's like, and you it, don't like, and part of it too is, is you got to do what makes sense for your business. And so mm -hmm. I think the conception of people, um, even like my family in Texas, who I had to explain, they were like, I'm so sorry you didn't get a deal. And I was like, no, no, that wouldn't have been a good deal for the business. And so yeah. like you have to, it's a, I think often because investors have the money, even in real life, like even not on TV, investors have the money. So people think, 
oh, you know, like you, the investor makes the call. And if you don't get the investor's money, then you have failed. Whereas it's actually like dating, like you are seeing if the invest, if you want the investor's money, because you're getting in bed with that person. And so you have to do what's right by the business and what's right by you and what's right by your employees. And so there, it's not necessarily like, oh, you didn't get a deal or like, oh, you know, you didn't work with that investor. It's, it's like there wasn't a fit almost like a, a puzzle piece, yeah. which I think is hard to explain to people who aren't necessarily in, you know, this world. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, we watch Shark Tank a lot. Like, I don't know. I really like the show. I feel like there's a lot of like, uh, like lessons to be learned from it. Yeah. I love One the show. The I feel I... like they also bring it to like, like people would have never known about venture or investing or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I think they just bring it to a mass audience really well. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, they the way that the stories get told on there is, I mean, you're completely right. Like, it's a failure if they don't make a deal. And it's like, no, that's not the case at all. And they paint the sharks as, like, the saviors to these businesses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like, no, the sharks are actually getting a lot and they're taking a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, it's it's got to be mutually beneficial. I mean... Julia and I have had a handful of these conversations with, um, you know, just talking about like friends and family type fundraising for us. And a lot of times we like walk away and we're like, no, thanks. That's not what we need right now. Yeah. And that's not a failure. That's not a bad thing. It's just like, you know, we got to make and you have to make the decisions like what's right for the business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking any deal doesn't mean that's right for the business. Like you got to do the Yeah. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of people who do, I mean, like the ring founder notoriously walked away, right? Because he also, when you have fundraised before and when you like come from this world a little bit, you also know what the business would be valued at. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, versus the show right now I'm, I'm raising again and versus that valuation on the show, I, I'm at like a four to five X I'm raising at four to five X that valuation. So like there's, there's this like financial component too, that if, if you do know what market is, then, then the, the terms that you might receive on the show are, are kind of like misaligned with that. Yeah. Well, and they pitch it too, is like, y- you've got to be willing to give more because you're getting a shark. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's I that like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I know. But that's why I was like, in my, even my pitch, I like called out Mark Cuban because I know like what he's done for, um, for, you know, a couple of brands that have been on there. What's next for Doe? What's next for you? Yeah. Um, this year is going to be wild. I don't even, I'm like already, <laughs> first of all, January was the longest month ever. And I'm like, how is it only like, we're just now at February It's always 1st. like that. <laughs> I know. Um, and so it's, So this year, I mean, we've got a lot planned. It's kind of a pivotal. So it's our year two. Um, So it's kind of pivotal for for consumer brands, especially ones that are direct to consumer. So we're actually, we're going to double down on on e-commerce, but we're also expanding quite a bit in retail. And so we've got, you know, Whole Foods in the Southern Pacific region. So that's SoCal, Nevada, Utah. Um, Hawaii that launches in a couple weeks, which is wild. Um, so cool. And then then we've got two more retailers that I'm not going to jinx. So I'm not going to say yet, but they're national retailers. So I think the coolest thing from those two will be that now when people ask us, because we get questions all the time when people don't want to necessarily purchase online, like, where can I find you guys? And now we can actually say like, Oh, there's a location, you know, like five minutes mm-hmm. near you. Yeah, um, yeah, that's so the best. So that will be the coolest thing to like see that on shelf. So, so big retail expansion, and then we want to start innovating pretty quickly. So I hired um, a chief product officer at the end of last year, and the goal is really to extend, um, obviously do it in a in a smart and thorough way, but extend as quickly as possible. We're finding we're finding people are eating our product as a snack which is really interesting for us because you would think, you know, it's a dessert. And like often the way I eat it is, you know, at the end of the night watching reality TV and like having wine. (laughs) But um, (laughs) a lot of people are eating it throughout the day or they're eating, you know, a bite before workout or like when people do lunch dessert, they'll have like a little bite of it after their lunch. And so we're interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doubling down on, on the snacking category. So we'll have a really big innovation um, coming in Q4 of this year that will be, um, in snacking. Um, but we're still kind of playing on, on that nostalgia and, and flavors that people love. And, um, and honestly, just like 
making people feel good about things that they can indulge in. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, we love it. And I think the pumpkin has been my favorite, the pumpkin spice. One. I just love everything pumpkin spice. So that one was my favorite. And it's we're, we're really excited for you and like excited to see like where we'll be able to buy it and all of that. I love the idea of the snacking because I feel yeah. like that's how I describe my diet uh, ever since like COVID, just like being okay, home, work from home all the time. It's like, I don't, I don't need like, any I need meals. Like- yeah, same. I'm like, I need some like hummus and crackers, and then I need yeah, exactly. Some, I need some cookie dough, and then I need yeah, I just eat like little bites of everything all day. Just yeah. like grazing 24 yeah. hours. Exactly. <laughs> well, where can everybody find you and dough? Um, give give all your little plugins. Yeah, follow us at eat dough e a t d e u x on Instagram. Our TikTok is popping now. We're trying to get more active on TikTok. Um, and we're getting pretty good at it, so it's fun. And then um, eatdeo.com, E-A-T-D-E-U-X.com. Okay, so that is it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, listening to her is just like honestly so fun, and we learned a lot, like we said. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. If you um, want to <laughs> leave us a review... <laughs> Julia always throws that in, and we like fight about it. I'm like, we don't need to just say right. that just because we feel like we should. Yeah, well, but. whatever. Um, anyway, go follow Sabina on Instagram at she. She left all her plugins and everything. So, um, that's it for today's episode, and we'll see you guys next week. See you, everybody. Bye.